<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, grab your extra large popcorn because we've got a double feature for you. First off, we're gazing out into the cosmos in search of supernovas and celestial orbs inhabiting the outer reaches of our galaxy. Ah, space the final frontier, ever taunting humanity with its infinite mysteries, ever inspiring creatives to let their imaginations run wild, conjuring all manner of new worlds and the life they contain. Ah, space, home of billions of stars and black holes, of innumerable planets swirling around their suns, and of comets hurtling along on a direct collision course with Earth. Wait, what? (laughs) Direct collision course with Earth? That can't be right. Run the data. Oh, Oh my god, it's true. This is a world-ending cataclysmic event. We need to form the president right away. Wait, what? She's busy getting a manicure? Well, interrupt her for God's sake. I just sent a memo. Did White House get it? Yes? Oh, thank God. They'll review it later. Sit back and assess. Don't you understand? We're all gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) Our first film this week is Don't Look Up, a political satire and the latest film from writer-director Adam McKay. In this movie, PhD candidate Kate Dubiaski, played by Jennifer Lawrence, discovers a gigantic comet heading straight for Earth. Her mentor, astronomer Dr. Mindy, that's Leo DiCaprio, immediately takes the data to the highest office in America. There's still time, you see, for Earth to mount a defense response and perhaps knock the comet off its course before it hits us and wipes out all life on Earth. There is a solution, it just requires a lot of political will. Unfortunately, President Orlean, that's Meryl Streep, is more concerned with winning the upcoming midterms, and her chief advisor, who happens to be her son Jason, played by Jonah Hill, is more concerned with his social media followers. In fact, pretty much everybody thinks Dubiaski and Dr. Mindy are overreacting. Is there even really a comet? Or are they just trying to scare everyone into giving up their freedoms? Don't look up, ask the question. Has our society gotten so distracted by our desire for instant gratification that we won't see death coming for us until it's too late? And has information gotten so twisted and manipulated and politicized that we wouldn't even believe it was death until our final breath? Hmm. Helen, first impression. Yeah, so we've been talking about this movie for a while. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I have liked... The recent films from Adam McKay, you know, The Big Short and Vice. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I had the I had it in my head that this was going to be like super, super farcical. So I went into it just kind of feeling, I don't know if this is going to jive with me. I don't know if I'm in the mood for this. Mm-hmm. Um, but right away, I was, I was taken in with the tone. And I was really, uh, my attention was captured from mm-hmm. the first few moments. 
And the other thing was, you know, from set photos that we had seen, I had seen Jennifer Lawrence in this red wig and thought it looked absolutely ridiculous in set photos, but I actually thought it worked on screen. I was like, oh, this looks way more normal than I was expecting it to look. Yeah, <laughs> um, So those were, yeah, my first impressions. What about you, Sinclair? Okay, well, normally for me, my first impression of an Adam McKay film is, okay, here comes another heavy-handed celebrity circle jerk of a movie. (laughs) But, you know, COVID is rearing its ugly head right now, and I I was thinking I'm going to stay positive. I'm going to drink that optimistic Kool-Aid, and maybe this movie will make me feel really good about the world. Right? Oh, <laughs> that last! I bet that lasted a, quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> All that aside, I I was googling things right away. I'm a very mm. obsessive Googler. I was already wondering, you know, who's Carl Sagan, and I, mm. I did look him up. He's an American mm. astronomer. If anybody mm-hmm. else was wondering that, and then they didn't end up googling it, I did. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, the same for me. I actually was looking at Jennifer Lawrence's hmm. red hair in this, and I thought it looked pretty good too. I, yeah. I really liked watching her right off the the bat. Yeah. There is one particular quote that comes up by Jack Handy, and you maybe remember "Deep Thoughts" by by Jack Handy. These little um, quotes would play between SNL sketches. And this one in particular said, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like his passengers. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's pretty much an appropriate quote in terms of the messaging of this film, which Mm -hmm. we'll get into with Mm -hmm. the storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Edison? Yeah, absolutely. So my first impression too, I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is our first impression, right? She's the first face we see on the screen. And I kind of miss seeing her. I feel like she's had a pretty low profile these last few years. And she's just so gorgeous and a really captivating screen presence. And I was just very much like, oh, yeah, cool. I I honestly didn't know. I thought she played a very supporting role in this film prior Mm -hmm. to, like, actually Mm -hmm. seeing it. I didn't know. But, yeah, I was like, okay, so nice to see J-La. And I was like, what song is she listening to? Is this a Wu-Tang song? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and I also was, like, kind of really drawn in by the science of it all. I was like, okay, is this how they, like, map comets and stuff? Like, is this how they're discovered? I loved that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, why don't we get into the storytelling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, okay, so this is definitely a political satire. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. a commentary on all kinds of things. It's like holding up a mirror to our current state of affairs in every Mm. facet with the COVID, Mm. with environmental crises, with with the fall of trust in our systems, the -hmm. pillars of our civil society, with the dumbing down of society, everything. And it's like, Mm -hmm. here's all of it. Look at yourselves. And so there's a lot to chew on storytelling wise. Mm. The way that he chose to do it with this really satirical take, I thought worked sometimes and didn't work at other times. It was a little bit of a yes and no for me. I was kind of medium on this overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, initially this was solely, I think, meant to be an, an allegory for climate change. And then with the COVID of everything, it it spoke to that as well um honestly I liked this so much more than I was expecting to Mm -hmm. partly for what I mentioned in my first impression that I expected it to be more farcical this was way more rooted in 
reality than I thought it was going to be. And it really does play with tone quite a bit. Like I found this very funny and very depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't necessarily expecting to be uh, emotionally affected as much. And it, it actually really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Sinclair, okay. what did you think? Yeah. Well, see, Adam McKay's style of filmmaking and his storytelling doesn't really work for me. Right. In, in general, though, it's not mm. just this movie. It's mm-hmm. it's it's all Adam McKay movies, mm-hmm. really. I find him to be way too heavy-handed mm. in terms of messaging, and I also find his films to be very patronizing. To okay. I kind of explain it like you're being treated like you're a small child being taught something by a very arrogant teacher. And my problem with him is that as an audience member, sometimes you don't feel like you're in on the joke. You feel like you are the joke. Hmm. And I'm honestly just convinced he hates everybody and thinks we're all a bunch of idiots. Like, that's the impression (laughs) I get when I watch his films. Yeah, you know, you can say that this is satirical and there are some funny moments in this film. I laughed um, Mm -hmm. a couple times with this film and clearly climate change and the state of our world is very important to a lot of people involved with this film. Mm. But is this film really successful in sparking change it is very loud and it's clear Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. is it effective and to me this film was the equivalent of watching over two hours of a of a celebrity's golden globe speech and (laughs) we know how the public feels about those yeah you know it's it's tough when it comes to celebrities telling us about this stuff I find that that's why this film is so divided because Mm. some people Mm -hmm. will be okay with it and other people won't I completely agree with a lot of that Sinclair that's the bit that didn't work for me was that Mm. uh, is this film who is this film for Mm -hmm. and is it having the impact on them that I think he wants it to have because Mm. the only people that need to be alerted to the impending doom of climate change are the people who are going to watch this movie and feel like they are being made fun of because they are. Or they just won't watch it, full stop. And uh, for the rest of us, like me, I just found this, I get it. He's exasperated. It is an exasperating time. It's Mm -hmm. incredibly frustrating. But this is just full stop cynicism from start to finish. And that, you know, just... I just don't like it. With that right. being said, there were things about this movie that I loved too. Yeah, yeah. But that that angle of it, that it just being so cynical, I get it. There's not a lot of hope out there, but like there was none in this film. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's funny because I was actually thinking of you while I was watching this film because this this film is pure cynicism. There mm-hmm. is not another side to that coin. Not a shred. And mm-hmm. I remember <laughs> thinking is Edison going to be okay with this film? Because Mm. at the end of the day, you, Edison, but like most of us really, is we do want to believe that we live in a world that is worth saving. And Mm -hmm. this film makes it seem like... Just let it blow up. Which is not really (laughs) what's supposed to be the messaging of the the film. But at the end, it it does feel like that. Right. I mean, it's interesting because I have to say that I do... I don't think that this movie could have ended any other way. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. movie could not have ended with the, the Earth being... I'm spoiler alert. <laughs> with the Earth being <laughs> saved. Yeah. Um, 
and I actually really appreciate that it went so far as to kind of just show everything blowing up and showing the demise of everything, which I know is incredibly cynical and dark and completely devoid of hope. But it, I don't think it would have been true to the story for it to end any other way. But at the same time, that then asks the question, like, are we just actually doomed? I do agree, though, Helen. Funnily enough, the final act was mm. the best for me. I actually mm. was emotional watching mm. it. It did impact me. I really mm. felt it. The stock footage of the animals and the random humans around the world. Like, I was moved and I was couldn't. I was shocked. But that's the first part in, in the whole film that actually felt like I was connecting to something authentically human. Mm. And that's probably why. Well, mm-hmm. I think that it's because it's really easy to separate yourself from the characters in this film because they don't feel like real people. So... You know, when you watch it, even though we recognize this behavior and we see this behavior in our society, most people watching, I don't think are going to resonate with anybody in this enough, even though we Mm -hmm. do have like two characters, uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't think we're really seeing enough of people that feel like real people. And I understand this is satire, but there does need to be some sort of human element so we don't separate ourselves from the people in this film, from the characters in the story. I do think that they tried, like, I think that they tried to put Leo DiCaprio's character through the ringer. They gave Mm -hmm. him a lot of obstacles to have to overcome and ways to challenge his character. At first, I kind of thought the Cate Blanchett romance thing was totally superfluous, but I guess it was also just trying to say that men are, at the end of the day, also just, you yeah. know, useless in the thralls of a beautiful woman, which is also right. cynical. But right. um, I don't know. Like, they tried. It just, yeah, nobody was, like, real people. It was, And that's okay because yeah. it is ultimately a satire, and I get that. Yeah, and I mean... Uh, y- all of this being said and really dissecting it at the end of the day I found this very entertaining Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I really wanted to see what was going to happen next even though it wasn't perfect yeah and I I mean I started watching it again today for a second time as I was doing my notes and like this is one I know I will watch over and over again there's a lot of moments and a lot of characters in this movie that I find so much fun to watch Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm no, I, I do. I will also say yes. So once I take myself out of kind of critically assessing the storytelling style uh, of this film, just as a movie, from an audience perspective, I agree with you 100%. I, mm-hmm. I actually had a lot of fun watching this movie. It flew mm-hmm. by. It was two and a half hours. I thought the pacing was like incredible considering it was a two and a half hour long film. Yeah. Um, and it was fucking funny at times. Like, I was mm-hmm. cackling in my apartment. So it did really work in a lot of ways, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just can't resist Jonah Hill. Like, if you have Fuck. Jonah Hill in there being quick, like, I'm going to enjoy it. I With his purse, you. I can't. It's his so perfect. Bag. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, you know, this movie is showing the obsession with celebrity culture and it's, you know, pointing a finger at us, you know, wanting entertainment and wanting celebrity stories and, you know, wanting to keep things light and this and that. Um, It is strange because we are being fed this and, you know, Adam McKay and the star-studded cast, they're a part of that, that wheel. They are part of that ecosystem, yeah. They're part of that ecosystem. So, you know, we're being fed that, and, well, sorry, Adam McKay, but you're a farmer that's filling up that trough for us. Mm. Like, you're part of that world. So I think that there is a level of 
hypocrisy in this, which I found very strange. I actually do disagree with that. I think that Adam, I think that what Adam McKay is poking fun of in this, in our celebrity worship, is Kardashians, Instagram, that whole thing, right? Fake ass, fake lips, clicks, likes, all of that. I don't think Adam McKay participates in that world. He's part of Hollywood, but when you look at films like this one or Vice or The Big Short, he is actively trying to engage an audience with a conversation about something bigger and challenging us to reflect on these things in our society. So he's not just... He is part of the ecosystem, yes, but I don't think he's churning out the thing that he is criticizing. But I do, I do understand what you're saying. Well, climate change aside, I I was sitting there kind of thinking about the different themes in this film. The climate change stuff and the celebrity culture content, I just, I mm-hmm. find it just, for me, it's, it's too heavy-handed. I did appreciate the idea of... Don't look up. This idea of don't look oh, up. Fuck. Right. Yes. If terrifying. An yeah. asteroid were to be coming to Earth, would you want to know? Or mm. would you not want to know? And I think it's this idea of do we want to think about death? And at the mm. end of the day, all of this obsession with celebrity culture and news and media, a lot of it has to do with us going about our daily lives and not wanting to think about death. Mm-hmm. Is that our fault? Are we a bunch of idiots for doing that? Or are we trying to preserve ourselves from the inevitable that we are going to die? I mean, we essentially live every single day with the knowledge that we're going to die. We just <laughs> right. don't know when. So yeah. if we are presented with the idea of when do you want to know or not? That's why I liked the title with Don't Look Up. And I liked the quote saying, the Jack Handy quote that says, you know, I want to die in in my sleep. I don't want to die screaming. So I took a lot of it to mean those themes. Right. I mean, I think that it did, it did kind of throw my brain down a rabbit hole thinking about mortality and, um, I think the difference is that in this is there's an opportunity to prevent it that humans do not do, right? That yeah. we don't take the, you know, world up on it. I also think that our small little human brains sometimes can't actually process what we're being told. And, you know, there's the moment towards the beginning of the movie where Jennifer Lawrence tells her boyfriend what's going on and he can't handle that information and starts mm-hmm. having a panic attack, panic attack and as as I was watching that I was thinking you know there's a lot of stuff that I think that we do know but we refuse to accept because we don't know how to process it mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the denial in this movie comes from that uh, survival instinct within us to just say like no I won't think about that and yeah. you're right, Sinclair. We do choose to actively not think about that all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like part of that is when you have something like environmental, you know, mm. climate crises, right? Mm-hmm. I think the majority of people still have either faith that the government will do something in the end and that it's not too late or mm-hmm. think that the notion that it's akin to a comet hurtling towards our planet is hyperbole and that it's not quite a cataclysmic disaster yet 
right? right? Because most of us still haven't experienced it. And humans are dumb as fuck and have to, (laughs) unfortunately, learn shit the hard way most of the Mm -hmm. time. I did not think about mortality with this, with Mm. the don't look up thing. It didn't jump into my mind for even a second about Mm -hmm. that, which may speak to my avoidance of it, of the topic, Mm -hmm. or might just be because my brain went the other way, which was actually the thing about... Yeah, and then me just sitting in the dark watching this thing about death. Sinclair's like, I already... Sinking further into her existential hole. Um, For me, that whole idea was the most terrifying thing about this entire film, Mm. which was the way that truth is lost. The way Mm, that mm -hmm. fundamentally the simple fact of like a fucking comet that you can see in the sky hurtling towards our Earth can actually be misused into being fake news, fake truth warped into this idea that don't look up they're taking or they're taking your freedoms we're not sheep we're not sheeple that fucking terrifies me because that is real that is it is it's happening right now (laughs) and that's the end of democracy the second that it's that we no longer can discern as a society Mm. what is real and what isn't it's over Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. cannot have faith in a system that doesn't work because you don't believe in it so that's that fucks me right up no (laughs) i don't know i think that if uh, an asteroid was coming to Earth, it would be on the news right away and we'd all be scared shitless. Like we, I feel like we would be told right away because there's a part in the film where they're talking about keep it light, keep the news light. And mm-hmm. I was thinking like, when does the news ever keep things light? Like the, the media is scaring the shit out of us every single day with something <laughs> new. Like right. Yeah, but, but people light? wouldn't believe it. There would be a mm. whole huge amount of people that wouldn't believe the news because it's mainstream mm. media. Mm-hmm. And that's really reflected in this. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. terrifying. Um, okay, so I feel like there's a lot to unpack storytelling, and we've dive, dived into a lot of it already. But why don't we jump into performances to yeah. keep this uh, comet flying? Um, <laughs> keep that trajectory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ahead, I, I really loved the majority of performances in this movie surprisingly so like I I was expecting to be more critical of this movie you know especially knowing how many big stars were in it I just Mm -hmm. to me that seemed like a a grab right like there's no way all these people are going to be utilized well right especially like the most right it's like Meryl and Leo and J-Law and Timothy and like Kate Blanchett and Kate Blanchett like yeah. yeah yeah Oh, and we know Meryl loves a nice, hammy, breathy performance. So, I mean, okay, this, this I gotta was say, right up her alley. <laughs> I fucking loved this Meryl performance. Me too. Sinclair, <laughs> if you did it, it, you're literally just trolling. <laughs> Were you not entertained by it? Oh, I mean, she's the same to me always. I don't know. No. but I, I did, You're just I, a hater. I did laugh at the end, though. There is a scene at the end where Meryl Streep gets taken out by a some kind of dinosaur what's it called i think it's called a broncorot <laughs> a broncorot and i did find that funny because at that point you know adam mckay had just destroyed the entire right. planet anyway yeah. so like why not take out the world's most beloved actress yeah. <laughs> yeah. as but well i mean at that I point that like because... what else can you do okay uh-huh. we'll just have something eat meryl streep but i loved it because it was like we got that reward Right, right. The payoff yeah. from that little kind of throwaway line earlier when the mm. um, Mark Rylance's character is like telling everyone how they're going to die. And he's like, oh, you'll die being eaten by a broncorot. And then you just <laughs> never think of it again until that mm. moment. You're like, oh, my God, yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Meryl Streep is awesome. 
And yeah. Leo, I this is I loved Leo in this. I did too. I did too. I thought Leo was was really good in this, and it was such a switch up from his normal. Yes, character. that's why I loved it. Yeah, like I would never think to cast Leonardo DiCaprio as a bumbling, uh, shy, social anxiety, can't speak in public, like type of scientist, you know, doctor. Like that would I would never ever ever think to equate him to that type of a person. But I thought he did a great job. And I mean, him and Jennifer Lawrence, as we've said, are the two characters who represent the audience or sort of represent the more serious side of mm. the story. And I, I, I believe that they were both really able to keep their parts grounded and yet still convey a lot of comedy in how seriously they were taking everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought he was hilarious. I, I thought that... Look, I love Jennifer Lawrence and everything, and I love mm-hmm. her in this too. I think she's doing as much as she can, but I do think that character was really underwritten. I mm. feel like she didn't really have much of an arc, to be honest. Mm. Like from start to finish, what? How did that character change throughout the course of this? Really, like what was her journey? I don't think there was much depth given to her, and I didn't know, learn enough about her story. But I thought that she is still honest and believable in every moment because mm-hmm. that's just how she is as an actress. Um, and then, you know, Jonah Hill, we've already touched on Jonah Hill, but Jonah Hill as the sort of like Don, Donald Trump Jr. character mm-hmm. oh my was, God. I could, I could honestly watch a entire movie just on his character. Yeah. yeah. I was so entertained by everything that he said. And even Mark Rylance as the cartoon villain, like mm. was also great. Like that, I believe <laughs> that somehow. Uh, yeah, I did too. Mm-hmm. That I, you know, I was writing down that so many of the supporting characters were caricatures, but then at the same time, I was like, but they actually weren't really. Like, they're not that far off from these people in life. Not really. Mm-hmm. I know. Like, <laughs> how, many, how many Elon Musk interviews have you watched? He's a pretty kooky fella. Yeah. And Timothy Chalamet as a cute little skater boy. <laughs> so good. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Totally. He's awesome. Again, he just slides into whatever role you put him in and it's just believable. Mm-hmm. I be- totally believe that he would be like so instantly crushing for J-Law's character. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. What did you, th- what did we think of Kate? Yeah, that's, I was just about to say the, the Kate Blanchett character. I mean, she's such an, a phenomenal actress and I was, I loved every little thing she did as this character, you know, while they're on air doing interviews and the little looks you see that she's giving to the crew. Like, it's very, very intentional, so vapid. And I'm a sucker for, you know, great actresses playing those types of characters. I I, I just find it so fun. Yeah. Do you want to jump in, Sinclair, on that? I feel like you haven't said much about performances. Uh, yeah, I mean... You were, you were not as as enthusiastic about it as us no okay so what is the last word on don't look up sinclair last word for me you know like i've i've been saying adam mckay doesn't generally work for me i just find him to be too heavy-handed but at the same time there's some enjoyable moments in this film there's some genuinely funny moments in this film and I I think that there is something to be enjoyed while watching it whether or not this will be effective in terms of sparking any real conversation or sparking any change I don't know 
Mm-hmm. But here's to hoping. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, I love that. That's 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 skeptic, skeptical, and not cynical. Sinclair. Well, it's funny because I'm the I'm most cynical person on this podcast and I'm the one that struggles with nihilism here. So even I was watching this and I was like, okay, Adam McKay, like people aren't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Let's McKay. Come on. This movie was so cynical that it turned you hopeful. I was like, there's brilliant people out there in the world, Adam McKay. Um, yeah, I enjoyed this far more than I was expecting to, and I think it's going to be quite rewatchable for myself, and the performances alone were enough for me to really, really enjoy this movie, and then I think, you know, all the subject matter and satire on top of it was just extra, it was, it was, it did amp up my enjoyment and entertainment. Yeah, I really liked it. Edison? Yeah, for me, I thought that while there were some elements of the storytelling that didn't necessarily work for me, we, we just know I'm never going to go for something that's just so yeah. bleak like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I And I do think there was an a little bit of a, like preaching to the converted kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I did also have a lot of fun watching this. I thought that the performances were fantastic. And so it's one that I, I can understand why it's divisive, but I did enjoy it overall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our next film takes us on a holiday in Greece. There we encounter the sun, the sand, and an existential crisis filled with guilt, shame, ambivalence, and the quote-unquote crushing responsibility of motherhood. (laughs) The Lost Daughter is the new film based on Elena Ferranti's novel of the same name and directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal. The film follows Lita, played by Olivia Colman, who seems to be trying to escape the demons of her past, but can't seem to shake the haunting memories of a suffocating life trying to raise two daughters. One day on the beach, Lita encounters a beautiful young mother named Nina, played by Dakota Johnson, and an unexplainable kinship is formed between the two. As we journey back and forth from the past to the present, the secrets of Lita's life and inner world are revealed as she tries to fathom who she is with and without her two girls. The lost daughter asks the question, in a society where mothers are expected to be glowing, perfect, strong, dependable, and sacrificial, what goes on in the minds of all the trees that fell too far from their apples? Mm-hmm. I like that. First impressions, Edison. Okay, so my very first impression of this film. So first of all, y'all have read the book, which I just discovered. Yeah. Um, this evening, I did not. I had no idea what the story was about. Mm-hmm. Didn't even know who the cast was until shortly before <laughs> I started watching it. Yeah. Um, only knew that it was Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut, and I was excited about that. Y'all were excited about it, so I went into this quite blind. So no idea about the tone, anything. So my very first impression, I was like, "Oh fuck, is that a bullet hole in Olivia Coleman's stomach?" No, mm. and then she falls down. I was like, "No, no exit wound." Oh my gosh, she was stabbed, and mm. I. So then I thought, "Oh, I'm, is, is this a thriller?" I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect. So that was my first impression. Cool, How Helen. About you, Helen. Yeah, so I had heard of this movie and then I watched a National Board of Review Q&A with Maggie Gyllenhaal and some of the cast and I was getting very intrigued and then I stopped because 
they were giving away spoilers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then that's when I texted you, Sinclair, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. we need to read The Lost Daughter before mm-hmm. we see the movie. So you and I both read it, and I had I read it recently. And so I'm going in with all of that in mind. Um, and, you know, what I took away from the book and what I texted you right afterwards, Sinclair, was this is the anti-baby fever book. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was watching this. I was like... How are Helen's ovaries now? Because we know they've, <laughs> yeah, been, exactly. they've been screaming for a few yeah. years. Give me babies. And yeah. Still? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about you, Sinclair? Sinclair? Yeah. Uh, because I had read the book, how this film opens up, it's different from the novel. So I definitely noticed that. But I was already loving watching Olivia Coleman in this part. And the setting actually wasn't too far off from what I had imagined in yeah. my mind while I was reading the book. And I have been very interested to see how this film is adapted because mm-hmm. the book is very internal yeah. and mm-hmm. it's like very like stream of consciousness at times I got the impression from reading this that this would be difficult to adapt so I was really mm-hmm. wondering how this was going to be done and and right away I wasn't noticing any voiceover mm, so thank god yeah. I was like okay okay I'm gonna carry on with this journey yeah yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I am really interested to hear how, what that experience was like for you, having just read the book and then watching the film for the both of you. Well, Um, I I think in terms of storytelling, if we get into that, you should actually start because, you know, it's mm -hmm. after you've read the book, it is very clear what is going Mm -hmm. on with the character. But you do lose the mystery of what's going to happen when you watch the film. And I I do miss that sometimes if you read the book first. I I miss having my own interpretations of Mm. what what the film is trying to show me. And I'm curious to know, like, how you felt watching. Yeah, I feel the same way. I want to know how you interpreted it. Well, it's funny because it starts just like that. And you think, oh, she's just died on the beach. Someone stabbed her. So I had this thing kind of like Power of the Dog where I was Mm. waiting for the inevitable, which (laughs) was her to be murdered. Like I couldn't shake that kind of impending dread. Like, oh, she's going to die. When is the moment where this finally reaches ahead with the mafia or whatever and they kill her and like what's going to cause it throughout the whole film? So that was interesting because that's not even remotely what this movie is about (laughs) at all. So I'm not sure that that worked to open the film like that. It was dramatic, but it did set my expectations for the type of film that I was going to watch in a different direction from the type of film that I watched, Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Storytelling-wise, I thought that there was... This film was very rich thematically i know i know that we're going to talk a lot about that of course and we'll get into all of that and i thought that it did a really great job of diving into all of those things and exploring them and fleshing them out i did think that there were times when i thought i may have just it may have been a more interesting story for me to have just seen jesse buckley's life like Hmm. that element of it because I felt like the portrayal of her life that we saw in this was kind of one-sided. Like we weren't getting any of the joy really except for the shit that pulled her away from her family. So it made it feel like a very easy decision in some ways watching the movie. 
Well, it's, um, it's funny because I thought that the movie was actually a lot more generous to, to Lita in terms of her emotional yeah. struggle because in the book, <laughs> she is very, very repulsed by motherhood. Yeah. Shockingly mm-hmm. so sometimes when, when mm-hmm. you're reading it. At least that's the impression I got. I mean, she talks about her daughters being born but instead of saying being born she says when i expelled them you know she's very (laughs) she is very ambivalent about motherhood and in the film i feel like maggie gyllenhaal allowed lita to be a little bit more conflicted emotionally Mm -hmm. than than the book even in olivia coleman's depiction of lita she seems remorseful Mm -hmm. about the choices that she made and like you've said, Sinclair, I didn't really get that feeling from the book. I didn't get the sense that Lita was at all remorseful about leaving her daughters. You know, she recognizes and acknowledges that it's wrong, but there's moments where Olivia Coleman tears up and cries in this movie where, like, that's not really ever acknowledged in the mm-hmm. book. And <laughs> it, oh, it, interesting. It also feels like, even in the movie, it also feels like those moments of emotion are less about her daughters and more mm. about herself. It's mm-hmm. more about who am I without my mm-hmm. daughters? Who am I with my daughters? It's it's about her. She's a very self-centered character. Oh, completely. Yes. And I think that that, that I actually found really, really compelling about the film. Yeah, mm. Like, I, th- as a character... See, Olivia Coleman is a superb actress. I love her so I, much. <laughs> I loved her character, even though I know I just said I would have preferred the storytelling of Jesse right. Buckley's time, but mostly because I thought it was a little lacking in that sense. But I, th- I th- found Olivia Coleman's character to be fascinating. And it's... I don't actually think that she... I didn't necessarily read what she was going through as remorse actually, when okay, watching the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. I felt like she was definitely haunted by the decisions that she had made, but mm-hmm. not necessarily because she regretted them or because okay. she felt like she made a mistake, but more just because she was super conflicted about what, just like what you said, Sinclair, what that means about her own identity. I mm-hmm. think this is a person who has no idea who she is mm-hmm. and how terrifying that must be at 48, you know, isolated on this beach and everything about her this whole thing goes wrong because she's doesn't know what she wants. I think Mm -hmm. that's how I interpreted a lot of this. How did you interpret the initial interactions with Dakota Johnson's character and that family in the way that Lita was observing Nina? I interpreted that as Nina being a mirror. And I thought that they had a kinship right away of like, okay, there's some, I see in you someone who wants to be free Mm -hmm. free of your kid free of this family free of everything and Mm -hmm. you don't know your way out and i thought that lita olivia coleman's character could relate and connect to that and we even had nina say to her at one point Mm -hmm. i saw you and i just thought right away oh i want to be like that woman and that's what i kind of saw there Mm -hmm. yeah because i think a lot of mothers um have a hard time discussing certain things there's a lot of like judgment of oneself and then also judgment between mothers i look mm-hmm. i'm not a mother but i you know from people that i've discussed things with in terms mm-hmm. of children there is a lot of judgment between mothers and how you should be a mother 
mm-hmm. and you're you're constantly living with your choices being judged so it's almost like these two characters are looking at each other and there's this kinship of okay I think I get the way you feel I think you've felt mm-hmm. the way I've felt and it's this unspoken mm-hmm. connection mm-hmm. yeah I mean one of the things I love most about this story and this movie is the feminine aspects that it explores that are so uncommon or I shouldn't mm-hmm. say uncommon but not uh, typically explored and shown on film and in, in books and not every woman is meant to be a mother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and society tells you that you are that's your mm-hmm. job as a woman and I also found there to be this underlying envy between Nina and Lita yeah and I think that that's a big part of female to female relationships is this jealousy and this envy mm-hmm. because, you know, there's moments where, well, there's big moments and small moments where Lita could help Nina more and she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a nastiness to that yeah. too. And, and she I takes just, the doll. Exactly. Yeah. That's a big part of it. And, and, you know, I just, she could help her more or she could offer more than she does offer. And, I sensed jealousy there from both of them. And it just, there's so much complexity to how women relate to other women. And I haven't seen much of that mm-hmm. in film. And I, I really loved watching that in this in this movie. Yeah. Well, Elena Ferranti has this cult following of mm-hmm. women because she's known to be an author who is like a truth teller about right. women mm. so she isn't mm-hmm. afraid to tackle these really like hush hush taboo subjects that affect women and sh- she writes about them in a very unapologetic way mm-hmm. and she allows her main female characters to be very unlikable yeah. and mm. allows them to express thoughts and desires that most women feel too ashamed to admit so there's an element of the books being very cathartic for mm. a lot of people and mm-hmm. you can explore thoughts that you feel like you're not supposed to think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And I think that that is really evident in this film. I think that there's no question that this was written and directed by a woman. Maybe mm-hmm. Luca Guadagnino could have done it, but otherwise mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like it was definitely a female movie for sure. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. so deep and complex and understanding and, uh, and non-judgmental and I think that that's really cool because Lita Olivia Coleman's character is a total narcissist oh, yeah. I didn't her interactions with Nina her like choosing not to help when she could have done more I didn't read as as like being catty or jealous or anything I just thought she was literally just operating on her own desires from start to finish right she yeah. wanted the doll because she wanted to an opportunity to take care of this thing that she felt like she could like mm-hmm. I'm gonna dress up this doll and I can do this and it's gonna make me feel good about mm-hmm. it like almost to f- amend her past or something I had nothing to do with Dakota Johnson's character I see I think it did but I do too do. but it's up for interpretation completely mm-hmm. but oh, totally I think yes. it, yeah. it was a way to cause issues in not that you know Dakota Johnson looks like a perfect mother but like Helen was mentioning before the envy you know when you've mm. had a past of of not being what you feel was a good mother to your children it's almost this way of I'm going to cause a little problem for you Mm -hmm. I'm going to you know 
I'm going to stir the pot a little bit. I can't allow you to be the perfect mother because I wasn't. Okay, I actually love that even more. That's not how I saw it, but that's even better. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see the doll as like a, a symbol for Lita's youth and life that she never got to have. Yeah, she takes the doll, and I think for her it represents this agency that she never wanted to give up in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then even with the, like, all the sludge and then that maggot or worm that eventually comes out of the doll in the end, I think, is kind of meant to symbolize that part of you is gone and dead. You don't get to have that back. Mm-hmm. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah, I thought that that was cool about it. There was definitely a commentary on her own childhood, right? Yeah. And I think that there was very much a theme of, like, inherited trauma. Yeah. And passing that on in the book like her mother was a very ambivalent mother yeah there's more about her relationship with her mother in the book than there is in the movie but it's hinted at enough in this that you got that and you could see it in the way that she was describing her relationship with her daughters and dakota johnson with her kid and even the way that her kid interacts with her doll where she's like gnarling Mm -hmm. at it and biting its face Mm -hmm. and shit it's like there's this kind of abuse this mother abuse like gets handed down but that's what I mean too, commenting on the female envy, because there is this part of Lita that envies her daughters for being be- more beautiful than her, for being younger than mm-hmm. her, for taking mm. something from her. And that is not the reaction you're supposed to have. Like, this is not a, a mother child story, this is a mother daughter story. Mm-hmm. Well, at one point in the film, we see that she's actually been reciting this poem to her daughters. Mm. Um, and I think she was doing it in Italian for him, mm-hmm. but it's actually by this British American poet, W.H. Alden, and it's called Crisis. And it's a pretty harrowing poem. I had to look it up because I was like, okay, well, you don't just throw this in there. So mm-hmm. what, what is it about, right? Um, so it was first published in the Atlantic in 1939, the day that German troops invaded Poland and World War II began. Oh my and God. it's essentially like a rumination on fascism and the like all-consuming dread of being invaded by another nation and having all of your freedoms and life stripped away from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. This is the poems that you're reading to your kids in a language that they won't understand, yeah. but so that you're still saying it to them. Like, isn't that just so unnatural for a mom in the way that we are, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, Maggie Gyllenhaal, as an actress, we we have known her to play really unconventional women. Mm -hmm. She's played a lot of women who have really dark desires or, Mm -hmm. you know, they have a profession that's looked down upon by society. She's... She's also been in Sherry Baby, which is about a a struggling mother who's battling her demons. So I can see why she was drawn to Mm -hmm. directing this material. Yeah. There's something about the way that this tackles the responsibilities of motherhood. The character of Lita is Mm hyper-intellectual and really driven Mm -hmm. academically and career-wise and to be successful and to go for that, right? She's at the very top of her game in the industry, right? She's considered a genius by leading intellectuals on that topic around the world, etc. If she were a man, society would just accept that he was being great at his career and Mm. prioritizing that over his family. He Mm -hmm. might get a bit of grief about it, but they would just accept, well, that's what great men do. 
they have to put their greatness first. Yeah. But in from a mom, she's a villain, and mm-hmm. we have to mm-hmm. reflect on it. We're reflecting on it in that manner, and I think that that was really clear in this film and and just a fascinating thing to think about Mm -hmm. well even yeah even the way that we're talking about it if this was a male character it would we wouldn't be talking about it in this way Mm -hmm. it's not remarkable (laughs) it's not remarkable it wouldn't actually be the film it wouldn't be this movie yeah let's talk about the ending uh, the ending is different from the book oh and I but I wonder if they mean the same thing I don't know I Mm -hmm. How, how did you take the ending, Edison? You mean the very, very end? Yes. When she's on the beach and she's peeling yes. off the orange and having that moment? I thought that this was basically continuing the analogy of passing on this trauma and her being selfish. The snake peeling of the orange is just like cyclical. Mm. A snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. She's doomed to repeat the mistakes of her parents and that she made earlier in her life and maybe her kids are they doomed to do it too and i just thought it was again further evidence of her selfishness she wasn't calling her kids or answering that phone if they called i don't recall to like because she had learned something new about herself i thought she was calling because to alleviate her guilt in some way did did you at all think she was dead uh, I did. It did cross my mind that maybe she died, and this was a little thing there. But um, I don't know. I think that that's very open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. I think it, it 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 could be either way. Yeah, it what did. Think, I did Sinclair? think. Oh, had she died? Yeah. So at the end of the film, they omitted like one of my favorite moments in the book at the end, where the daughters are asking like where she's been, and mm-hmm. she says, "I'm I'm dead, but I'll be fine." Mm-hmm. So she's just, <laughs> from being a mother, she's just been dead inside, I guess, where at the end of the film, she might just let herself die. Well, that's where I sort of think, is this the film's interpretation of what the book's ending is? Yeah. Is she dead in the book? Is she dead in the movie? Yeah. Because when she wakes, first of all, if she were, because in the book, she gets she taken to the hospital. In the movie, there's no hospital. She passes out with a stab wound. What are the chances that she would be okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and well, she got stabbed with a hairpin. I can't see her dying r- from it. Right, but it sort of. Yeah, she like, was looking she, pretty pale. At the she end. was looking pretty <laughs> infected. And also, where does that perfect, beautiful orange come from? Like to me, it sort of. I don't know. I I am more in the camp of I think that she's dead, but yeah. I don't know. I think it's the same idea of whether you're literally dead or metaphorically mm-hmm. dead. Right. You know, in yeah. this case, what what does it matter really? <laughs> yeah. In, in in either in either case, I did appreciate the film leaving it open to our mm-hmm. interpretation. Mm-hmm. So I will say we've we're talking a lot about the themes of this film. I yeah. think it's really, really powerful and deep and explorative and all of that. But like with Don't Look Up, right? Mm. There's also the experience of just watching it. Mm-hmm. And for me, I found the pacing in this film to be the complete opposite right. of Don't Look Up. I actually found thought this movie was about four days long. <laughs> and I was like, it, this is the longest thing I have ever watched. <laughs> right. Um, 
despite still waiting I, I, I like at one point i was like well someone just stabbed her already i need to mm-hmm. like have a resolution here mm-hmm. so i do think that from that element of it i think that there was a lot that could have been cut out there was a lot of repetitive themes going on and on in this i i think that the experience of watching this film was interesting intellectually but mm. just as a move and performances yes but mm-hmm. as a movie i was like a bit bored yeah yeah that's fair I think I would have been bored if I hadn't watched if I hadn't read the book. Shall we transition into performances? I know we've already kind of started to talk about it, but get more in depth into that. Yeah, I think that Olivia Coleman can do no wrong. Yeah, she is just so astonishingly authentic. Mm. I think that it was really important to cast someone like her in this yeah. role too, mm-hmm. because. She is really likable as a person, mm-hmm. like Olivia Coleman. So you want to see the best in her regardless. Yeah. Because this character is really narcissistic and self-centered, it would be really easy not to root for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And I thought that she was brilliant. I just thought everything about this performance was brilliant. That moment when she confesses to Dakota about yeah. abandoning her daughters was mm. like some of the most powerful acting I've seen all year. Like I it instantly had me in tears. Mm-hmm. Like she just crushes your soul. Mm. I I was just so happy to see a movie that's entirely almost entirely focused on a middle-aged woman that like isn't Jennifer Aniston. I know. <laughs> you know, like Even though that you was do love Jennifer not, Aniston. I, I love Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> I, I just mean like, you know, how often do we see movies regardless of what the subject matter is that just allows that type of person to be the main character and the person that we look at for the entire film who's like in a bathing suit for the most of the movie too mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. that i i really really loved that i found that so refreshing um and also i i will also say that i appreciated that they that there were shots that like sensualized olivia coleman there mm-hmm. were a lot of shots of of, of her breasts and yeah. her like glowing skin and her being sensual dancing mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that because you don't often see, let's say, it, an average-looking, right. you know, women highlighted in that manner mm-hmm. in film, really. And so that was nice. Oh, yeah. And I did think that Jesse Buckley was a great pick for the younger version of her. Mm-hmm. They seemed to be so, so similar to me. And I love Jesse Buckley as well. But I thought that their temperaments were really similar and... Um, I thought they looked like each other too. Yeah, and the and their voice, the way the way they they speak. Yeah, even though they had different accents, I thought that they're they. It was, it's interesting. It was a kind of a, a a similar. Like I thought she had similar energy, but in at other ways, I thought it was kind of a totally different character. Mm. And I didn't even mind that because mm. it could have also just been another woman's story. And mm-hmm. that's okay, mm-hmm. too, in that way. Uh, but I thought Jessie Buckley was fantastic in that, too. She's mm-hmm. uh, What they did share is that she's also a super authentic, real performer. Yeah. And Dakota Johnson just has this laissez-faire attitude. Like, we've talked mm-hmm. about this before about her. It's a really distinct quality that she has. She's so at ease in her yeah. own skin that you just feel really comfortable watching her and she can take these really long pauses 
and just kind of look at the camera or look at her co-star and she doesn't have to say much she can just barely speak her line but you just feel drawn into her like she's so easy to watch Mm -hmm. she is and i really love this trashy character on her yeah she was she was (laughs) believable in that part yeah i just thought it was so fun like that black long hair all the trashy tattoos and jewelry i loved it all right any technical notes that we want to make for me i thought that the score i thought Mm. was a little melodramatic sometimes it was just like very melancholy Mm -hmm. kind of throughout and i it i don't know it didn't necessarily work for me because it felt too somber and moody and i this film deploys a lot of extreme close-ups yes a lot of them and they worked at the beginning i was like oh this is cool it's very intimate we're seeing like really really into this life but there was it it started to be overdone for Mm. me see i i sort of flipped it in the beginning i found it hard to watch like i almost was starting to feel a bit seasick Mm -hmm. because the shots were so close and it was so shaky and then it either let up or I got used to it because I didn't I didn't mind as it went on. But in the, at the start, I was like, oh, wow, this is a little bit hard to handle. Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that the film didn't get too into the the scenic elements yeah. of Greece. Right. <laughs> it was kept very contained. And I know, Edison, you probably wanted to see more sites well the thing is i did but it makes sense like this i think this vacation is like Mm. thematically about choices and this idea of like the grass always being greener on the other side yeah right like it's a reflection of the choice she made to leave her family which she obviously went back on three years later but she goes on this vacation where everything is supposed to be perfect is Mm -hmm. this perfect little greek isle instead she's inundated with this friggin mafia family these bratty teenage boys (laughs) in the theater a fucking pine cone landing on her shoulder a cicada or some giant alien bug on her face rotten fruit it's like nothing is is as it seems or is as you want it to be or is as how you would imagine the perfect version of it to be. Honestly, there were moments in this film where I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I'm like on vacation. (laughs) Yeah. Looking grumpy on the beach. Um, You know, (laughs) the scene where she's watching the movie and those teenagers come in, I felt that. I did too. Me too. Big I felt that I was furious. Yeah. I, it made me just want to literally kill them all. Yeah. Me too. Like, you f- little bastards. Yeah. But honestly, guys, this is the worst vacation ever. I also spent the whole last half of the film genuinely just screaming at my TV, like, it's time. Call it. It's yeah. time to call it, honey. Just call it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Leave. It's time to leave Greece. Leave Greece. Get the fuck out of Greece now. Yeah. Like, to yeah. call it. It's over. The ship has sailed. Uh-huh. And, like, bye. I know, like, but, you I... know, when you're a mother, there is no real vacation. That is mm. it. <laughs> you're always on that island in Greece <laughs> with that rotten, <laughs> rotten fruit. <laughs> All right, what's the last word on the lost daughter, Helen? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a very female movie. I think that generally I think women will probably resonate with this more, but um, it's it's not like it's inaccessible to men, obviously. (laughs) But I did, I really enjoyed it. There is a part of me that wishes I could have watched this without having read the book to see how I would have Mm -hmm. felt about it. But at the same time, if you're interested, the book is 
a very interesting read and it's a very quick read it's only a hundred and something pages it's almost more of a novella than a novel i would say yeah edison so for me i thought that this film does a really great job of exploring a lot of rich themes and details that we don't often see and i found it super compelling in that way i thought that the performances were amazing but i do feel like the pacing hampered my enjoyment of this Mm. film a lot um and i think that a little bit was lost in the kind of back and forth between the timelines Mm. too sinclair how about you yeah i really just appreciate this movie and i just i appreciate the novel so much i think Mm. it's just such a unique experience as a woman to to read that novel and to watch this movie and I recommend all women watch this movie I mean Mm. men too but I do think it's going to be something that is a very specific experience for women I thought it was really daring and evocative yeah I'm looking forward to see what Maggie Gyllenhaal does next from a directing perspective because I think this was a pretty impressive directorial debut Mm -hmm. yeah I agree with that for sure yeah all right, well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And you can become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash talkmovietome. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Thanks for listening. <laughs>